Awesome. Uh, welcome again to the Elm City Vineyard. My name is Matt. Um, I'm so glad that you're here. This is so weird to be in this space, and it's weird to say that it's weird because this was normal, um, at least for me, for so long, and for many of us in this room. But if this is your first time indoors at ECV, special welcome to you. I, wa I want to begin um, this afternoon with a, um, with a story. First, I want to make sure that I'm not about to break anything. <laughs> Technology can break. Yeah, we'll see how that works. Otherwise, I'll be pointing in that direction on the regular. Um, I want to start off with a story. Um, a few years back, I um, had just graduated from college, and I was trying to make my way in the world, as one does. And um, my way of doing that was a little bit unique and put me under some pressure. I was volunteering full-time. That's pretty lucrative. And I was working very part-time to make, to like feed my volunteer, full-time volunteer addiction um, possible. And at the same time, um, my, my now wife, Hannah, and I were in the process of getting ready to get married. We were planning a wedding. We were planning a honeymoon. We were planning a life together, um, which some of those things, at least, like, involve, involve money. And I spent that whole year pretty stressed out about money. Um, some of you may relate to this, you know, the sort of experience of, like looking in the bank account um, and having having a sense all the time that there probably should be more money in there than there actually is. Um, uh, and, but this, this, is, this, was, this was my life for that year. Um, by the spring of that, of that year, we were getting married in April. Um, it was coming down to the wire, and um, money was... It was extra tight. It was extra tight, and I was extra busy. And in the middle of all of that, at the sort of the peak of this moment, I checked in my bank account... And it seemed to me that there was actually more, there was more money than I expected might be in there. In fact, it appeared that perhaps um, my last paycheck was twice was what it ought to have been. But I thought, <laughs> I, I mean, there you go, that's one response. Um, and, and, you know, I, I thought, well, you know what, I've been really busy. I've, I've probably just lost track. Um, I, I haven't really been on top of things, you know. Um, plus, like, I could really use the extra cash. All things being equal, let's lay low. All right? That was the strategy. Moment number one. Moment number two, um, about a week after that, I'm working in the, I, I would save my office. I did not have an office. There was a room in which I did my work, and by the end of the day, that particular day, I happened to be the only one in that room, when my boss came in. Matt, hey, did you, um, did you notice anything sort of um, unusual in your last paycheck? And I was like, no. No. Plausible deniability and whatnot. I thought, like, you know, like, no, no, I, I'm, eh, no, I'm not sure. No, I don't think. It, like, really? Um, you know, you, you didn't get like paid, paid double, last last week. Uh, I, 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 I don't. Mm. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think I noticed anything, <laughs> any anything like that. 
you could see the moment on his face when he, when he like gave up hope that I was going to come clean. And his face fell, and he just looked at me, and he sort of shrugged, and he said, well, I just wanted to say, like, congratulations on your wedding. Just wanted to give you a bonus. I was trying to steal what was being offered to me as a gift. We're in a series right now called Grateful and Hungry. And we are thinking through, um, sort of returning back to some of what we feel like God has told us over the years um, in ECV, um, going back to um, some sort of um, some messages that that um, that maybe we heard on a Sunday afternoon, but really like they were, we felt like we felt like they were messages from from the Lord. Um, there were things that God was telling us. I don't know if that's a weird idea for you, or, but um, that's been our sense over the years, at least 14 years that we've existed at a church, that God has really sort of spoken some things to us. And over the years, one of those things, and I, I, will, I will tell you, um, uh, 14 years ago when we were part of the planting team that started this church, I never would have thought that I would have preached nearly so much about obedience and about sin as we have over the years. Um, some of the folks who've been around for a while are like, yeah, yeah, no, that was surprising. Um, <laughs> those are not like when you think about like, how are we going to welcome people into a community? Like really, like, like what are like the winsome, like front edges of the gospel that we could offer to our city? Um, you don't immediately think of obedience and sin, but we talked so much about obedience and about sin because God was speaking to us so much about obedience and about sin. And so today, I, I want to I take us back to um, a particular word about sin that God shared with us way back in the beginning. And, and that is, I want to try to convince you, as I try to, as I try to like, let the Lord convince me, that despite all of the awkwardness, you would rather live in a community that talks about sin. You'd rather live in a community that talks about about sin. As we do that, let me, let me just pray and, and ask the Lord to be here speaking to us. So, so uh, God, uh, we want to hear from you this afternoon. We want to be formed in the likeness of your son, Jesus. So Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit among us. Open our, our minds and our ears to receive what you have for us. Amen. So my, my hunch is that um, this language of sin, it probably doesn't come very naturally to us. Now this, despite the fact that I take it that most of us in this room, I think probably all of us in this room, are under no illusions or delusions that we are perfect. Um, Actually, one of the things that I love about this city is that it tends to gather, um, like, idealists. Um, we have sort of really high ideals. We want to, like, see it's a city in many ways of sort of um, folks who, who, um, who are world changers, who, who want to maybe change, change a neighborhood, change the city, maybe ambitions to um, change, change the world beyond uh, the limits of the city. Um, New Haven is a place for idealists. Um, 
And our ideals are so high, I take it, that we have, I hope, certainly in our honest moments, we, we know that like, we don't live up to those ideals. But I mean, our ideals are so high, right? Like our ideals, right, are like so high, it, it's hard to think that every time we like fall short that like we're sinning. I, 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 mean, I mean like this, um, I think we have a worldview maybe that looks like this. Um, our worldview is oriented around some really, really high ideals. We'll call this the realm of awesomeness. Um, uh, the, oh, I'm, 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 I'm timed out. Can you do that? That'd be great. Um, and if we're Christian, um, yeah, there we go. Um, that's how I knew the slide hadn't advanced. Um, if we're Christian, maybe we define this realm of often awesomeness in terms of, uh, of God, and, uh, in terms of the person of Jesus, maybe it's from the Bible. Um, and as I, as I said, I think take it that we know that we don't always live up to these ideals, but we try, if we can, to live toward them, right? We're on our way, like at our best, we're trying to live like into the realm of the awesome. Um, this, is, this is us, this is where we're at. But most of the time, we know we fall short, and so we occupy a different realm, the realm of less awesomeness, um, okay? So, um, for example, um, again, if we're Christians and we're trying to follow Jesus, we know um, Jesus teaches, the Bible says that we should love our enemies, and we can't, we can't quite pull it off. Honestly, I can't even love my friends that well, um, so, you know, less awesome. The Bible says that we maybe should sell all that we have and give it to the poor. Um, and we'd like to believe, you know, that like we're trying our best. Jesus models a life of, of love that accepts self-sacrifice as a sort of inevitability in a world like ours. And we find that like really inspiring, you know. Um, like that's awesome. Like that, that'd be awesome stuff. Um, we're just... We're just less awesome. Um, and importantly on this account, um, what we're not doing when we're being less awesome is we're not sinning. We're not sinning exactly, right? We're just like less awesome. The, the realm of sin is the realm of bad people, of like really bad people. Um, maybe like in our, in, our, in our most honest moments, maybe we can admit that sometimes rarely, um, like this is me. Um, Probably this was you, like, back in the day, like, not anymore, right? Like, you had some bad habits, you've grown your way out of it, like, hallelujah, right? I mean, you know, God, like, does some work in us, right? That's real. Basically, I take it when we're putting together this sort of framework, what we're looking for is we're trying to carve out a space for ourselves where we are basically good people. We're not perfect, but we're not sinners. Now, perhaps... This will come as little surprise, um, but this is not the way the Bible um, sort of thinks about sin. I'm going to read a, a few verses from, uh, from 1 John. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and we do not do what is true. 
But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In case you missed it before, one more time. If we say that we have not sinned, this is actually in the text. Um, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, a text like that, I take it, paints a rather different picture, right? A much more stark picture. But this is the sort of picture that I take it we get from the New Testament. There's simply God's goodness, and there's everything else. Everything else is sin. I sin, you sin. And what does that mean? That means we break relationship with God. We break relationship with one another. We break relationship with the rest of creation. And sin Sin is, is, is like pervasive. It's not, it's not just like a, every once in a while in my dark, deepest, darkest moments. It, it's, it's what we do. It's often why we do what we do. We don't just trip into sin. We're like caught up in it. It's embedded in these structures and in these histories. These histories of broken relationships with people we love, with people we hate, with people we don't even know with the natural world through which God has given us life. And when we fall short of God's goodness, we're not just like less awesome than we had hoped to be. We are in fact, um, we're sinning. We're contributing to all of these structures and all of these systems and all of these histories and we're actually reinforcing these life-destroying structures. We are sinning. And as the passage insists several times, when we try to live by the less awesome or basically good people model, we, we lie. We lie. I lie, right? When I try to live as one who does not sin or even only occasionally sins. When I think about myself as, you know, fundamentally a good person, I lie. And so this text, you know, it reminds me of that question that has been haunting me ever since Michelle asked it last week. If you missed that talk, um, you I mean, make sure that you go back and listen to it. If you're listening to this right now on a recording, you could just press pause and go listen to that instead. It'd probably be a better use of your time. Um, those of you in the room, I appreciate you sticking with me. Um, but she asked this question. She said, what lies are we try- still trying to make work? Or I think she also phrased it this way, what lies are we trying to prove true? And one of the key lies, I take it, that we regularly try to prove true in our lives is the lie that we are fundamentally good people, that we're innocent. We're maybe understood every, misunderstood every once in a while, but like at core, right, we're, we're good. The Bible is not subtle about this. Again, as we read, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
Now, I want to cut us some slack here. I know many of us would say, of course, I know that I sin. I know that I'm not perfect. But what I've been hearing from, from God um, this week as I've been praying over this message has been this, this sort of response of like, okay, true, fair enough. But what is your first response when someone calls out sin in your life? Even if they don't use that language, when someone suggests to you even that you have been less awesome than you had hoped to be, what's your response? What's the first response of your heart? Do you, do you thank them for helping you understand the impact of your actions? Or do you try to make the lie work? Do you try to prove the lie of your own perfection true? That you're fundamentally good, at least. That you've only been misunderstood. Let me speak for a moment, um, especially to the white folk in the room. Last summer, um, a group of us uh, spent some time reading um, a book by Robin D'Angelo um, entitled White Fragility. And I was stunned as over and over again she pointed out that one of the fundamental features of whiteness in interracial conflict is the, respo is the response to say, like, no, no, is, 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 is the... Um, is like a bruised innocence. To feel like your innocence is attacked. Like I am fundamentally good and I have a right to be recognized as fundamentally good. And if you say that I'm anything than, other than that, you have personally attacked me and I am within my rights to do what I need to do to protect myself. That's crazy to me and yet also completely recognizable in myself. And she, and she, she proposed this sort of crazy personal posture that we might adopt in order to, as white folk, interact in more productive ways in interracial conversations when she proposed that what if you instead sort of began with the thought that you, you just aren't innocent and you never will be? And I thought, as Christians, this should be like table stakes for us. Like this should be the first thing that we're bringing to the table. Um, and yet, I see it missing in my own heart so often as I, as, I, as I feel this sort of defense, right? How dare you call me racist? If only you understood my motives, my intentions, you would understand as well as I do that I am a good person. We shouldn't have a bruised sense of innocence to have to get over anyway if we are followers of Jesus. Instead, God invites us, all of us, to know ourselves not just as occasionally falling short of the awesomeness to which we aspire, but as sinners who routinely rupture relationship with God, with one another, and with the rest of the natural world. And not just to know ourselves this way, but to talk that way. It should mark our speech, First John says. And, 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 and this is convicting to me, right? Because how many times do we say in our daily lives, do we say, hey, my, you know, uh, my bad, or respond to someone who says something like that with, oh, don't worry about it. It's no, no big deal. No problem. Don't worry about it. Rather than, I have sinned and perhaps respond maybe after some time or processing with the Lord when it, when it, in fact, it can be appropriate and true to say, I forgive you, not no big deal. 
First John says that, that this way of speaking opens up a whole new way of life to us, right? If we confess our sins, if we actually name sin, he, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So sure, we sin. It's inevitable. It happens. It's just, it's just table stakes. It's part of life. It's where we start. But if we're able to talk about sin, we can confess. And this is so, so crucial, because I have, I have learned this. Sin thrives in the dark. Sin thrives in the dark. Like, if you wanted sin to just, like, become rampant in a part of your life, I don't know why you would want that. But if, if for some, some experimental or perverse reason you wanted that, you should keep whatever part of your life um, that you want sin to run rampant in, keep that part of your life completely private. My hunch is you probably don't even have to have any sin there to begin with. If you just keep it private, sin will find its way in there, seriously. Why do you think it is that we struggle the most with sin in, in our sexual lives and when it has, in, maybe even more so, in the ways that we spend our money? Those are things that we tend not to talk about. And, and the silence, oh, I mean, it's, right? It's like, it's, it's like sin is just like so excited. It's like, oh, of course. The darkness, the quiet, the silence, the privacy. It's just what I need. But confession, if we can actually step out and bring things out into the, into the light, then we find that sin flees. Not instantly, but it's on the path. It's on this path that First John talks about. Now, one more thing to say here before we go on. Um, I take it what confession is not is a sort of, um, I have confessed sin, and now that I have named it, I get to demand forgiveness. We're going to talk about forgiveness in a moment. Um, but confession, I think it is not a sort of demand for forgiveness. Um, it doesn't uh, entitle you to forgiveness. Um, now, God freely offers forgiveness, but it doesn't, doesn't like, guarantee you forgiveness from somebody else. What confession instead can be, and, and this is, I think, something that we've been learning as a community more recently over the last few years, is that uh, uh, confession can take the form of, of um, confessing what you do recognize as sort of sin in your life, but going to someone against whom you've sinned and saying, um, this, this is what I can see in terms of how my actions have impacted you. Um, would, would, would you, before we even, before I even ask for forgiveness, would you first help me understand the impact of my actions more fully? Because part of my sin is like, I don't even recognize like all that's happened. Um, would you help, would you help me, would you help me understand? Would you help me understand the impact of my actions? And if we take time to better understand our sin before we move on in the process, we can honor one another better along the way. But we do, this process does, as First John describes it, uh, entail forgiveness. First of all, from, from God. That is, we confess our sin, we can receive forgiveness from God. And we're going to um, receive communion um, in, in, a, in, well, uh, a little while from now. <laughs> and um, and that's, an, that's a really, that is just fundamental, receiving that forgiveness. But whatever form it takes for receiving forgiveness from God or from other people, forgiveness doesn't mean excusing sin 
as sort of merely well-intentioned failure to be excellent. Um, to forgive someone, actually, is to name what they've done as wrong, to name it as sin. And that's what happens even when God forgives us, right? And that can be one of the sort of terrifying things about even asking God for forgiveness. So when God forgives us, in that very process, God names what we've done as sin and says, it is a big deal, actually. It's a very big deal. Nevertheless, I forgive you. How can we model that in various ways in our relationships with one another? Responding to confession, not with, oh, no big deal, or don't worry about it, um, but saying, no, yeah, that was big. Um, when and if you have asked me to like, help you better understand the impact of your actions, I might even help you like, understand a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more, like, like that, that, that was rough. Here was the impact. But precisely in that place, I, I want to extend forgiveness. Why? Because uh, this whole process, as First John keeps coming back to, is aimed at fellowship. It's aimed at communion. It's aimed at relationship, mutuality, sort of mutual belonging within a community. And I can tell you, over the years, uh, over my years in this community, my experience has been just that. That the deepest relationships that I have, I have experienced in my life have been the ones in which we're able to take sin seriously, to talk about sin, to confess sin, to forgive sin, and, and, and we find that relationship is deepened there. My friend Rob Evans is, is, is sitting here. I, I always call him out at this point um, whenever I talk about this idea because I, it was, honestly, it was sort of revolutionary for me. When I started to get to, to get to know Rob, it was actually one of those things that sort of like pushed our relationship a little bit. He was like, all right, we're going we're gonna to talk honestly about like what's going on in our lives and like where have we fallen short? What, what sin do we need to confess? And that was just like, it was this, um, it was this place of healing for me because there were like areas that suddenly came out into the light that had been dark and had been like a great place for sin to hang out. But as we, as we walked that road together, um, it was this deepening of relationship. I'll never forget that sort of uh, uh, a, a group of, of men that we would meet together very early, what well, felt at least at the time. I didn't have kids yet, so it felt to me very early in the morning um, when we would get together and have these, have these conversations and we would come together. It was early. It was like 6.30. All right, that's early. Um, some folks have like very young children at home are like, nah. You would do a touchdown dance if your child slept in until 6.30. But um, these were key relationships. Now, oh, this is painful, right? Like you see how this, how this diagram works? It's like all set up as a circle. And you're like, seriously? But I, like, we got to be real about this, right? Because, yes, inevitably this repeats. Um, we, yeah, real talk. Like, we sin, we sin again. Like, the next step, like, after fellowship or in the midst of fellowship, actually, is that we sin. And in fact, and this is something I feel like God's been teaching us more just in the last few years, as our fellowship gets deeper, the harm we can do to one another deepens as well. Shoot. That's true, though. A little more than a year, year ago, I was in a faculty meeting, um, and um, there was a student uh, who was a woman of color who was sharing an experience of being overlooked when a faculty member 
had extended an opportunity to a white male student and not uh, to, uh, to other, other students of color, women who might have been interested. And while the student didn't name names, um, I was like, as I'm hearing this story told um, in front of all of my colleagues, um, I am like freaking out because I'm like pretty convinced that this, this person was me. My innocence was being called into question. And I had like, all, like my, I'm like feeling it in my heartbeat, my body. And the thing is, I had a hunch that it had to be me because the student who was sharing um, was a member um, of, of this church. And frankly, the sort of opportunity that I had extended to this white male student was the sort of thing that very few of my faculty colleagues would extend to anyone. The harm that I had perpetrated was the sort of harm that could only be perpetrated in the context of the deep relationships that we had been building and at least and trying to build here at ECV. After, after my heart rate subsided a little bit after the meeting, um, I, I sent an email. Um, Thank you for helping me better understand the impact of my actions. Um, if you'd be willing to share more, I would, I would love, I would really appreciate that. Um, and there's still a story unfolding there. There's not like a simple and wrapped up story to, with a happy ending. But it's only, it's only further convinced me that um, we have to be honest as we try to like build real relationship to one another as we live this cycle. Um, we have to be cognizant of the ways that the relationships that we build here are opportunities for God to do serious work. There are also opportunities for us to harm one another in ways that we might not otherwise. And that the hope is the hope is that in the power and activity of the Holy Spirit, this isn't just a circle going nowhere, but something more like an ascending spiral, right, through which we are knit together as the family of God. First uh, John, I take it, calls this. This is what I think First John means when it talks about walking in the light, not being perfect. I mean, it says so many times that like, perfection is just like not a thing that, you, that is possible for us, but rather living honestly as those who sin, confessing our sin, receiving and extending forgiveness and living into fellowship. But if we're unwilling to talk about sin, we cut off that whole cycle. Um, next slide. Yeah, we can't... Uh, we can't confess what we can't admit we've done. We can't receive forgiveness um, for what we're unwilling to name as sin. And as a result, our fellowship, the reality of the mutual belonging of God, humans, and the world at which the entire creation sort of aims, that, that fellowship gets weaker and weaker. So, so much of our lives together and with God have to do with this ability to talk and this willingness to talk about sin. So look, the, 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 the title of this series is, is Grateful and Hungry. So I, I want to use those categories just to frame a couple last thoughts. So like, first of all, I, I'm grateful 
I'm grateful that ECV has largely been a place where we can talk openly about our sin. Folks regularly stand up here as like giving sermons and we like describe as I have some of the ways that we have fallen short. We have, um, there are accountability groups that, that meet, triads, uh, whatever name it goes by, small, small groups of intimate relationship in which, among other things, we confess our sin to one another and seek wholeness. And just this past week, we were having some honest conversations as elders about some of the ways that we've fallen short of what God wants f- for us, and we named it as sin. I confessed sin, and my fellow elders didn't rush to like fake forgiveness. They held that confession in seriousness, and I have every hope that we will find our way to forgiveness and deeper fellowship as a result. And I hope we never lose that way of being with one another. And if you're new to this community, I I, I hope, well, I'll give some invitations in a moment. I hope you will find your way into it. At our best, I take it this is a community in which the pitch isn't, come be a part of church because here everyone's perfect, but rather, come be a part of church. Let's do church together. Let's be church together because in church, we all know we begin from this place where we know that we are not innocent. And we take that seriously. We confess our sin. We forgive one another and we enjoy fellowship deeper than we might otherwise. So I'm grateful. But I'm also hungry. I'm hungry for a church in which we know how to do All of that good stuff, all of that naming of sin, even taking sort of risks in our life together to like, to to dare to do things that are beyond our ability in ways that mean that we will sin, but to do all of that in ways that where we're still able to sort of attend to the real harm that we do to one another because of that habit of trying to like lean into how God's growing us, especially because I take it that the harm that results from sin doesn't fall equally on all members of any community, including this one. Marginalized folks, um, women, folks of color, women of color, um, I take it bear particular vulnerability um, when when we just in the churn of life that's like going through that cycle hopefully on its way, there's real harm that's being done. And so it can't be that confession and forgiveness give us license to sin without consequence. Uh, If you know anything of Scripture, there's actually plenty that talks about that. But honestly, as a church, I'm not sure we're as mature in those practices of protection and defense and repair um, as we might be, as we ought to be. And so I'm, I'm hungry for that. I'm eager to see... Uh, the Lord um, come and do some work. I'm eager to, um, to, to press further into, into understanding my own um, uh, parts in, in that brokenness, in the brokenness that even that we've cultivated um, alongside all the good things that God's been doing in our midst. All right, a couple of, invi- a few invitations. Um, first, um, first one would be uh, talk about, uh, would be an invitation to talk about sin. I know that's not fun, but I, I really do mean, I think some of this really does just come down to like reforming the way that we talk. Um, there are opportunities constantly for us to, instead of just being like, hey, hey, my bad, or even I'm sorry, but to begin with, hey, I, um, I feel like I've, I've sinned against you. It might feel really awkward. 
But like, again, note, go back and look at that first John passage and notice how many times it's talking about talk. If we say, if we confess, if we, it's, it's about things that we do with our words. And so can we begin with like, just, just, in, your, just in your day-to-day relationships, where can you lean into actually just naming sin as sin? Or if someone comes and, and, and apologizes to you or confesses sin to you, to, to, I mean, it's so weird in conversation, but, but just say, like, I forgive you rather than no, no worries. Um, I think our words matter, and maybe we could lean in, lean, lean in. I think, well, the promise of Scripture is that um, some of the transformation is right there. Second challenge would be um, come into the light. <laughs> um, that can be really scary. Um, is there a place in your life sin is sort of having its way because it's in the dark. And of course, because sin is having its way, you like are more want to like keep that thing in the dark. Are there ways that you can, um, in trusted relationships, safely and appropriately, you can come into the light? That could look like um, uh, forming a triad. You could probably talk to Patrick. Is that right, Patrick? I still talk to you. Um, Patrick has been sort of advocating for these. Just groups of three people, small enough to be um, just to be like intimate, trusted relationships um, in which we can, we can sort of do this sort of work. You could join a home group if, uh, and sort of see how much of that is possible in that home group space. You could take a leap in, in a sort of trusted relationship um, that you've already had, but sort of take, take a step deeper to say, hey, can we... Can we do that thing? Can we like talk about sin? Can we confess? Um, come into the light. And finally, I invite you to ask yourself, consider, in what ways are you trying to prove true the lie of your own innocence? It can be poison to our relationships with one another to be constantly trying to prove true this lie that we've bought into, it can also be poison to our relationship with God. Because a belief in our own innocence can convince us that we have earned something that God is offering to us as a gift. And in fact, as I've been returning um, this most, rec- most recently returning to this story of this interaction I had with my boss around my wedding bonus I did not know was a wedding bonus. I've been thinking that there's something more here from the Lord, at least for me, and maybe it can be for us. Maybe something of a parable even. A parable of how when we try to claim that we have earned what is being offered to us as a gift, we perpetrate a lie and we try to steal what's being offered to us freely. I think I put it better up on the screen. When we claim, and this is true of always, because we are never innocent, this is always the case as we interact with God. When we claim that we have earned what God has freely offered, it is always a lie. We are trying to steal what is being offered to us as a gift. And I think that there are probably some of us here today who've been trying to do just that. Trying to claim 
I don't know. I earned that. And God's, God's saying, like, the gift is still yours, right? My boss didn't take away the bonus. But I lost out, right, on receiving it as a gift because I tried to claim it as something I, I was owed or that I had earned. I think we can do that with the love of God. We can do that with the presence of God. Try to grasp onto those things, good things that God really is offering to us. But if we try to hold on to them as things that we've earned, because we're trying to prove true the lie of our own innocence, we lose out actually on the, on, on, on the nature of the gift that's being offered. So um, we're, we're going to take communion now, um, and hopefully you have communion elements such as they are um, under, your, under your seat. Um, there's some extras under chairs up here. Patrick's coming around. All right, we'll make sure that everybody has what they need. But I take it that in communion we have an opportunity to repent, to turn that whole dynamic around. To actually say, um, I haven't earned it. I don't deserve it. Um, but I do receive from you, Lord, what you are offering as a gift. So before we receive the elements, and it's funny you open it up and, and have access to what you need. I want to read some of the words um, that were invitations to communion that I grew up with um, in the covenant church that I grew up, uh, grew up in in the Midwest. These were the, this was the invitation. I invite you to come to the table, not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciple. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak, and that you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. 